Recall we've spent some time, I said I'm not very unique, talking 2020 vision. Uh, That's kind of been where we're at. It's the year 2020, and we want to look at vision. We spent time talking about um, making sure we recognize those moments in our lives where God's done something, and we're intentional about, well, we talked about how they built a stone tower, but, but doing something so that we won't forget what God has done. But then last, last Sunday, God said, all right, you looked back, but now make sure you're still looking forward. And we talked about how sometimes that we allow our pasts to prevent us from going to where God wants us to go today. So, yeah, we need to look back, but we can't just look back. We've got to be looking forward as well. Um, this whole picture, 2020 vision, I, as a pastor, when, when I pray about vision or when I ask God, oh, what do you want to do, you know, with our church, I think we all want the burning bush, like. We all want this moment where God says, you're going to this specific place. And it's a land flowing with milk and honey. I mean, that's a great, that's an easy vision for a pastor. I mean, I can see where I'm going. I can see how we get there. And let's go. My challenge, honestly, as a pastor, as I prayed about God's heart for our church this year, he hasn't been laying on my heart a place. Like, you know, go, you're going to do this. You're going to reach this many people or you're going to do this kind of outreach. It's it's not been that at all, and I've, I've struggled, but, but really, if you can pull up the next slide, I got this picture of 2020 vision, and what did opto- optometrists do, right? To see how your eyes, I see a lot of people with glasses today, so I know you've been to the eye doctor, and they give you this silly chart, and they say, look at it, and when it starts to get blurry, what? We recognize that you're not 2020 vision. Isn't the reality of the, the vision is that where it's blurry, hey, some of those are blurry anyway, so it's all right, um, but, and some of them, even the good one is a little bit blurry, so don't think your eyes are bad this morning. But the reality is, is that when we recognize where things are blurry, then the, the doctor gives you these lenses and you put them on your eyes so you can see clearly. As a pastor, what God has, has genuinely been stirring in me, and, and this, is, this is the direction we're going. Yes, we want to look at what God has done, and we need to know that he's doing, he is absolutely doing incredible things in our church. Amen. God is absolutely doing some remarkable things, and he's going to continue those things. But, but what God has, has caused my heart as a shepherd is to say, how clear are we? How authentic are our lives? The words that, I, that, that God's been speaking to me, it's about a, an authentic, a genuine faith in him. There's so much of what we do where it just gets, it gets blurry. And I tell you, what excites me about this is I believe there's, there's transformation and clarity. I believe there's, there's, there's something incredible that happens in genuineness that we miss because of some of the blurriness. It's hard to recognize what God is doing in me. It's hard to recognize what God's doing in us because things just aren't clear. You know, we can't this morning, this is exciting. We cannot talk about blurry living. Go to that next slide, Irene. We cannot talk about blurry living without talking about this three-letter word that begins with S, that taboo word in churches. That begins with the letter S. Because I tell you, this S word is the source of blurriness in our lives. And I'm telling you, go ahead and go next. It's not the word some of you were thinking about. 
But this morning, if we're going to talk about blurriness, we have got to talk about sin. We've got to, we've got to start there. We've got to start our conversation about authentic faith with the reality of sin. It's okay to talk about sin. It's okay to say things are sin. It's okay to recognize sin. Actually, it's imperative is where we're going to be this morning to recognize sin in our lives. Because we will not be authentic when we allow sin to continue in us. There's a, there's a dissonance that comes from our lives when people recognize sin that we're embracing and we say that we love God, but it's this argument that exists. It makes us hard to accomplish His work. It's like we're working against ourselves. We're going real profound this morning. I want to start in the beginning of the book, Genesis chapter 2. We're going to look at that word, oh, that was a good catch. We're going to look at that word sin today. We're going to see that, that it's not something that is new for today. We're going to see that it's something that has, since the very beginning of man, caused this blurriness. And who they are and who we are. Father, I pray for us this morning and I thank you, God, for your presence. I thank you for the promise that you are with us. I thank you, God, for your word, which is true. I thank you for the opportunity to look into your word today. And God, I pray for us in this room. God, I pray that our hearts are inclined to you, that we desire, God, authentic, genuine faith. That we're willing to... Be honest. Honest with ourselves and honest with you this day. As we look at your word, and it brings transformation in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis chapter 2. I'm going to read quite a bit of Genesis this morning. Genesis chapter 2. This will be very familiar. We learned this our first day of Sunday school. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Pretty clear. The Lord God said it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was made. Now picture the character of God in this. He recognizes Adam is lonely. He made Adam, put him in a garden, said, don't eat from this tree. He looks at him and says, he's lonely. So what does God start to do? God starts to get creative. And every animal, it says, of the land and the air, he brings before Adam, like, hey, is this one going to work? Here's a puppy dog. How does that make you feel? Here's a bear. Here's a lion. I mean, here's a llama. I don't know what he brought before him. How does that make you feel? Oh, here's a koala bear. This will meet his needs, right? The heart of God in that moment, he brought all these things before Adam because he recognized that he was lonely. 
But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now the bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. I think he was so annoyed to say, whoa, man. I mean, that's where he was at. I mean, seriously. Sorry. For she was taken out of man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they became one flesh. Verse 25, I want you to notice the state of Adam and Eve. I want you to notice what the scripture says. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Both were naked. God's made Adam and Eve and he's created them and it's good. It's very good. And both of them are naked, it says, and they felt no shame. That's a place of authenticity. Right? They're not hiding anything yet. They are who they are. They felt no shame. They were naked and they felt no shame. Now I want to continue because this is where the story gets interesting. This is where blurriness comes in. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God did say, you must not eat from the tree, from the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you will die. Verse 4, you will certainly not die. The serpent said to the woman, For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Verse 7, Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed some fig leaves together and they made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden. It's a sound they'd heard before. It's a sound that they absolutely recognized in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he answered, I have heard you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from its tree, and I ate. So that says through 22. I believe that was just through 12. This morning I want to look at, you know, because we've got an enemy who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. It's absolute scripture. It's a devil. And the devil's learned that the best way for him to mess up our faith is this thing called sin. And so the devil, I mean, he learned away with Adam and Eve, and he hasn't had to change his efforts up much today. You know what I'm saying? When something works, we just keep repeating it until it doesn't work. The devil hasn't had to change his strategy very much since the garden. And he seems to be repeating the same strategy over and over again because it keeps working. 
So I want to look at his strategy this morning. I want to see what the devil likes to do, what he's probably doing in your life or has been doing in your life or will do in your life. Because I'm guessing if he's got a way that works, he's going to try it again and, and, and try to get you to, to, to recognize that you're naked. So what does he do? Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. The serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. The very first thing the devil wants to do is tempt you. Hey, look at that fruit. Look at that fruit. He causes attention to the tree, right? Was, was Eve at all tempted initially? It doesn't seem like it. I mean, God did say. Did God really say? How many times does the enemy try to do that in our lives? He brings temptation that says, did God really say? The first thing the enemy is going to do is tempt you. I mean, the, the, the interesting thing about Adam and Eve is, as you read Genesis, that's where I started, where I started. There was one thing that God told them, right? <laughs> you must not eat from. So the devil had one place that he could tempt them. There was one area where he could break their trust with God. So what does he do? I will tell you, the devil will try to tempt you. That's not a new strategy. And let me say something. This may blow your mind. If you're tempted, you're not alone. If you're tempted, I wouldn't even be worried. I'd be worried if you weren't tempted. Because he's not trying. The enemy is going to try to bring sin in your life. That starts with this thing called temptation. From temptation, we see something called manipulation. There was a truth that was, but the enemy says, you will not die. God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. The enemy will tempt you with what God says no. Then what does he do? He starts to manipulate you. Did God, did he really say that? Well, yes, he really did that. Oh, you're not going to die. You see, the difference in this verse and in the previous one is now he starts to change Eve's perception of the character of God. He starts to manipulate her in, in what her understanding of God truly is. I talked about how good was God. He was so good that when he saw Adam was lonely, he brought everything before him to try and meet his needs. Everything that led to the point of creating woman. But suddenly God's withholding? Isn't that what the enemy starts to do? No, you're not going to die. 
You're not going to die. <laughs> the God, I mean, you're not going to. You know what else the enemy does? He starts to make you question. That's this manipulation that he does. We're wrestling with a temptation, and then the enemy starts to tell us why it's okay. Oh, wait, God must have was talking to someone else. The enemy starts to manipulate the character of God. Did God really say that? I mean, you know what? He's scared you're going to know as much as him. He knows it's really good for you. And God's, I mean, he goes from God says don't eat from this to God is withholding something good from you. Isn't that the manipulation the enemy uses in Scripture? There's a temptation and he starts to to manipulate. You will not die. God is protecting himself, not you. God made it. It must be good, right? Could God make anything evil? I mean, it's going to be good food. It's going to be really good food. It looks good. It tastes good. It's going to give you wisdom. Go ahead. Just, Just eat it. He said there's temptation. Leads to manipulation. These are big words today. I got a lot of shuns, okay? That causes adaption. You know what? The reality is the longer we're in a setting, the more like that setting we become. You notice that? So we had a pretty cold November, early December, right? So we were able to go back to Kentucky for Christmas. And it was 50 degrees, 55, maybe 60, not quite. You know what my kids were doing? They were outside playing in their bare feet without any shirts on. Why? Because they'd adapted to their climate. The kids there were wearing coats. You know what I'm talking about? Like in, 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 early, in early spring when it's like 50 degrees and you walk outside and you didn't worry about it. And then in, 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 in late summer, early fall, it's like 50 degrees and you got your like heavy coat on and your beanie and everything else. Like we, we, we become adapted and that's absolutely what we see Eve doing. She's separated from the Father so she's adapting to her surroundings. She's being manipulated by someone that's not good. You know, we talk about church and the importance of church. It's absolutely important that we surround ourselves with a cloud of witnesses. Why? Husbands, look at your wife. Wives, look at your husbands. You guys become more and more like each other the longer you're together. My wife has one of the better sense of humor now. She tells me all the time, that was a Steve joke. Why is she telling him? She's being transformed into the image of her husband. Romans chapter 12. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We become like our surroundings. Our surroundings affect us. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Have you ever noticed church people? Uh-oh. I didn't talk about husbands and wives. We laugh at Pam for becoming like Steve. What about the person you see at church that acts one way on Sunday morning because they're surrounded by a cloud of believers in another way on Tuesday afternoon because now they're not surrounded by those that they were around. Do you know what I'm talking about? 
there's something called adaptation. We kind of become like what we're around. So if I don't like what I'm becoming, then I better be around something I want to be like. So there was temptation that led to manipulation that led to adaptation, which led to sin. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good and pleasing to the eye, she took some and she ate it. Why was it sin? Is it sin to eat fruit? My kids might say it's a sin to eat a vegetable sometimes. It seems like it. Why was it sin? Because God told him not to. You know, so often we get so consumed with what is sin and what isn't sin. I will tell you that as, as simple as I can define sin for you today, as simple as it comes to, to what sin truly is, it's my way over God's way. Sin. Sin is when a Eve sinned because she did it her way. You might say, no, it was the enemy's way. No, the enemy's way became her way because she adapted to the manipulation and temptation. And she ate that fruit. Why? Not so the enemy could be wiser, but so she could be wiser. It was her way over his way. The other way I put that sometimes is self over Savior. That's absolutely what sin is. Anytime I'm doing what I want rather than what God wants, that's sin. I think we like the lists in Bible sometimes because it's easy. I'm not committing sexual uh, immorality. I'm not murdering. I'm not stealing. So I'm good. No, it's anytime. Anytime you choose yourself over your Savior. That is absolutely sin in your life. What do you mean? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, anytime you don't do what the Lord says, what the King says, you're not in submission. That means you're out of step with the King. That means you're not doing what the King wants. Anytime God speaks to you and says do, and you say no, that is absolutely sin. And it's all right. It's sin. We can say that. Pastor, I don't like you talking like that. I've got to talk about it because there's absolutely an effect of your sin. If there's anything hindering the will of God in your life, it's the sin that you have. If there's anything hindering now, okay, that's my life. The will of God in your surroundings, it's the sin that's in your life. There's absolutely an effect of sin. The eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. What happened because of sin? Remember Genesis chapter 2 verse 25? It said what? They were naked. And they felt no shame. Genesis chapter 3, they are naked and they feel absolute shame. What changed? The shame changed, right? Because they disobeyed God, suddenly they felt shame. What did they do because of their shame? They hid themselves. 
When, when God was in the garden and he was walking around the garden, what were they doing? I'm guessing before they heard God. I don't know what it sounds like for God to walk in a garden, but I've got to imagine it's pretty recognizable. Like it doesn't sound like the bear anymore. It doesn't sound like, I don't know what it sounds like, but I'm sure they recognized it. Up until this moment, God's coming. We're looking for the opening. We're running to him. But now because of shame, now because of sin, what are they doing? They're running from him. Let me tell you, that's the absolute effect of sin. We feel shame and we run. We were at a conference and, and there was a speaker at the conference and he talked about he was smart, like doctorate in something, psychology, whatever. I don't know what it was. He's a smart guy. He might like my adaptation words and stuff like that. But anyway, he flat out said, he said, we go from secrecy to silence, and then there's a stronghold. We feel shame, so what do we do? We get quiet. We start covering. We start hiding. God says, hey, where are you at? silent. Maybe he'll come back tomorrow. Maybe more time will be passed and it won't matter so much. And suddenly, there's a stronghold. And he said the only way that we break strongholds is through confession. But we have the opposite effect of sin. Anytime there's sin, we feel shame, so we become silent because we're afraid that someone else is going to judge us. Church, we've got to be genuine. If we can't be authentic here, I don't know where we can be authentic. If it's not okay to talk about sin here, then I don't know where we can expect people to be able to talk about it. If it's not okay for us to not be okay here, like when someone comes up to you, that's one of my pet peeves, when they come up to you and you're screaming and cursing and whatever else, and they say, hey, how you doing today? And you say, I'm doing great. There's no authenticity there. And if you don't want to know how I'm doing, then don't ask. Because sometimes I've got to be able to say, hey, I'm struggling. Life hasn't been too good. There's a silence. Things get blurry. Greg's been talking about light being the light of the world. Our light just kind of gets dimmer and dimmer because it's just blurry. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, come here, verse 11. Who told you you were naked? Who told you? 
Ich hole mir den Mädchen. Sonja, that's the enemy tactic. Whether it was their self, because they recognize it from their shame, but I just imply in my understanding of that, that's the enemy that pointed out you're naked. As they ate the apple, ha, 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 you're naked. Oh, my. This verse, this verse resonates in my heart. Because so often, We've allowed someone other than the author and finisher. The scripture says God is the author and finisher of all things. Yet we allow someone other than him to declare who we are. Whether it was the enemy that told them they were naked or the sin that told them they were naked, someone or something told them they were naked and they believed that and they believed it more than they understood who God was. This quote, you might want to write this one down. It's good. It's not mine. It's good. Go to the next slide. The devil knows your name but calls you by your sin. God knows your sin but calls you by your name. I'm going to say that again because that's, that's profound. Who told you that you were naked? The devil, he knows your name, but he's going to call you by your sin. He says, hey, you're naked now. He's not calling them Adam and Eve. He's not calling them the ones who God just created. He's pointing out that they are the ones who are naked and they felt shame. But God, who called you that? Sin doesn't have the right to define you. I'm going to say that again. Sin does not have the right to define you. You are not called what your sin was. You are called who God made you to be. I will tell you, your sin is not greater than my Savior. Your sin is not greater than what Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross. Your sin is not greater than what was, what was accomplished on that day in Calvary. The forgiveness of man. I don't know that things have changed. So often, we allow the shame that comes from our failures to define us. We let the one who tempts manipulate and tell us that God would never love us because our sin was too great. Blurred, muddy lives. See, life gets blurry and we can't be authentic because we've allowed the enemy to bring shame to control us. And he wants to keep you silent. Let me talk about your shame. Guess what the scriptures say? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
You're not the only one who's been there. You're not the only one who was there this morning. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The problem isn't sin. It's the effect of sin. It's our response to sin. Rather than hiding sin, we need to confess sin. Rather than running away from God, we need to run towards Him because God will absolutely forgive you. He will forgive you today. He will forgive you tomorrow. And He will forgive you in 10 years. That's the God who loves you. That's the God who cares for you. That's the God who sent His very best so He could be with you. Yet we allow the enemy to tell us, God's not going to love me this time. I did it. I really screwed up this time. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. What sin does it purify you from? Huh? What sin has he purified you from? Is that the sin that you did? Is that the sin that you're doing? Is that the sin that you're going to do? The blood of Jesus has absolutely purified you from all sin. The blood of Jesus has purified you from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We're still wrestling with this, right? Trying to do it his way and not my way. I wrestle with it daily. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just. Who is God? He is faithful and just. And He will do what? He will forgive your sins and purify you from all unrighteousness. The scripture says we have been made righteous. You are absolutely made righteous by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It's not of your own accord, but it's because of what God did for you. Your sin does not define you. Your sin does not does not define you unless you allow it to. You guys can't come forward. Pray that last song. Unless you got something else. Whatever you want. I believe God's calling us to a place of authenticity. A place where we can be real. If we can't be real about our faults, then I don't want to be real about our successes. not real. If you're only telling me the good things and not the bad things, you know what? How can I be your brother? Because when I love someone, I want to help lift them up. When I care for someone, I want to help see them through. When I know that someone I love is hurting, I want to help. That's some of my problems sometimes. I want to fix things. If we're going to have authentic faith, we have to be real about sin. Hebrews chapter 12. This is where I'll stop. Therefore, this morning, 
We're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with, with, with perseverance the race marked out before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer. He's the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. This morning, I just have a question. I believe God appointed his word for us today. And I, and I, and I wonder this morning if maybe you can recognize and identify with this whole idea of shame. Like, I get it. The enemy told me I was naked. That's who I am. I gotta cover up. I gotta hide. Because I'm not good enough for him anymore. Oh, is that God I hear in the distance? Ducking. Cover. Maybe Pastor won't look at me this morning. Maybe. The Spirit will just walk past me today. I want to tell you, this is not a new strategy. Pastor, what do I do? How do I get away? Confess. Who do you confess to? Well, let's start with God. I don't need to hear your list of uh uh-ohs. Confess it to God. Tell God I'm not defined by that. That's not who I want to be. That's not who I am. I want to get rid of that. That scripture that I read said, let us us cast off. Let us throw off that stuff that hinders. That sin that you've been afraid to confess. That that area of your life that you know God's been saying don't and you have. Or that area of your life where he's been saying go and you've been saying no. Just cast it off. God, I'm sorry. The enemy's walled you in, and he's called you that name over and over. He's written it on the mirror, so every time you look at it, that's all you see. All you see is your nakedness. All you see are your faults. All you see are your problems. The enemy keeps highlighting it. He keeps screaming it. He keeps telling you it so much that he's forgot your name. He's never used your name. But God is saying to you this morning, child, one who I love, my beloved, Because I sent my son and he purified you from all sin. I sent my son so you would not be called that anymore, but you would be called a child of God. Father, this morning in this place, I thank you for this word. I thank you for your word. And God, I thank you for the challenge, for for authenticity, the challenge for for genuineness, and God, for for everyone in this room this day. I ask you would speak. God, if there's some that are hiding, I pray that they would sense you walking in the garden. God, I pray that this morning they would hear you calling out their name. 
faith. Not because you're the God who desires to judge. Not because you're the God who desires to condemn. But you're the God who wants them to know your love this day. So if there's someone hiding, I pray they would cast that off. If there's things we're covering, God, I pray that we would be revealed. If there's names that we've been calling ourselves or that our sin has called us or that the enemy has, has branded us with, God, I pray that we would confess that it's not who we are this day, but we are your child. And we would live in that place where there is no shame. God, I pray that the grip of shame would be broken. God, I pray that the, that the grasp of shame would be lifted. God, I pray that we would, we would allow ourselves to become that new creation in Christ Jesus because of what you've done. It's in Jesus' name. This morning as they lead us in a in a song, I'm just going to encourage you to, to confess. Spend some time with your father. Spend some time at the altar if you need. Throw off that stuff. If you say, man, I can't shake this and I need someone to stand with me, find someone you trust and ask them to pray with you. Ask them to hold you accountable. Ask them to stand with you. It's okay. Because I want to be genuine. I want to be real. I want to be authentic. In this room this morning, I pray that that would be our, our prayer as we go, God, that I am chosen, not forsaken. I may have come in here thinking I was something than I am. I may have been deceived. I may have been discouraged. But that's not who I am. I am chosen, not forsaken. I'm a child of God. I've been set free. The guilt of, of shame, the, the control of shame has been released from me. That's who I am this day. I am forgiven. I am cleansed. I am washed. I am righteous because of what you've done. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. May he turn his face towards you and grant you his peace. And may you live defined by your Savior. May you live free from the grip of sin, from the shame that comes through sin. Amen? Be blessed.